Welcome to the Hot Potato Podcast, a series that grabs the burning topic of climate change with both hands and asks how regenerative farming can help solve the problem. We all know farming systems need to change to feed the 8 billion people on this planet without actually destroying the planet. But how? Here on the Hot Potato Pod, we're starting with, who'd have thought it, the humble spud. As the third most consumed crop globally, potatoes play a vital role in how land is farmed and how people are fed. This podcast is brought to you by McCain Foods. With one in four fries eaten around the world made by McCain Foods, together with their farmers, they know a thing or two about growing potatoes. They are working with growers to drive regenerative agriculture practices at farms across the globe and have set the ambitious goal for 100% of their potato crop to be produced on regenerative farms by 2030. So keep your ears peeled as together we chip away at the hottest challenge facing food producers today. Welcome back to the Hot Potato Podcast, where this week we'll be talking about robo-farms. I don't mean Daleks going up and down potato rows. I mean precision agriculture, drones, DNA sampling, driverless tractors, things like that, which can help us cut chemical use and grow food in a more sustainable way. Joining me is Martin Harris, Crop Risk Specialist at Agripedo, and Emily Ford, Senior Agronomist at Quattro Ventures. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. First, Emily. Hi, I'm Emily Ford. Um, I'm the agronomist with Quattro Ventures, located in Bow Island, Alberta. We're a joint venture operation of five family farms that came together in order to stay competitive in the marketplace. I serve as their sole agronomist on staff. I take care of fertility, water, pesticide management on all the different crops that we grow here. And I'm just sort of on call as the farmers need me for advice on anything and everything on how to grow the best possible crop. And how about you, Martin? Hi, I'm Martin Harris. I'm an agronomist and soil scientist at a company called Agripedo. We are independent agronomists and soil scientists. We basically focus on data and, and recommendations. Great. So I, I grew up on a farm and I'm, I was used to agronomists being around quite often advising my father and other farmers. And they were generally advising on how to get the best yield through chemical input and other inputs. But today, I believe it's a bit more complicated, right, Emily, um, because you've got to help farmers be resilient in the face of climate change. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. I think the role of, well, my role, I guess, at Quattro is a little bit different. Um, It's more about data management, um, optimizing inputs, and um, understanding what practices we can implement to make our soils more resilient to climate extremes. And why do they have to be resilient? I mean, I know here in the UK, I'm hearing from farmers that the weather's changing. They're getting sunshine and hot weather when they're maybe not expecting it so much. It's warmer, maybe wetter at different times. So how's it changing in your part of the world? For us, it's hot a lot more often, more frequently, more prolonged extreme heat. Mm. Um, So for us, that kind of means we have to manage the water that we have. And how can we make the water that we do have every drop count, I guess? So that's kind of what we're looking at. How can we increase water holding capacity in our soils so that we can utilize it to the best of our abilities? 
it makes a lot of sense to me actually because this weekend I was um, having a cup of tea in Scotland near where potatoes are grown. I was watching a crop being irrigated and I was just watching soil run off with the water and I was thinking, where's their water holding capacity? (laughs) So could you explain how you might prevent that loss of soil? Well, I think managing your irrigation so that you're actually getting infiltration, um, giving water when the crop actually needs it. Um, The days of just irrigating once a week because that's what you're supposed to do are over. I think you need to think a little bit more about it now. And Martin, you're also uh, seeing changes in the weather, I expect, in South Africa. Can you tell us about how climate change is affecting your part of the world? Yeah, I mean, um, at the moment, or the past three years, we actually had a very high rainfall. So the opposite problem. (laughs) Much higher than, than what we are used to. So we had big harvests, good crops, but now for the immediate future, they're predicting a El Nino cycle for us. That basically means that we're going to get a drier period. And I think a lot of farmers' eyes opened up and they realized that, listen, yeah, we need to arm our soils. And I think uh, this year there was a lot of cover crops planted, so so that's good. But, yeah, we're working with what we have. I guess farming's getting even more interesting with um, climate change because you're seeing all these changes. And I thought it was really interesting how you both immediately talked about the soil as a way of building resilience. And regenerative farming is all about looking after the soil. And I noticed you talked about arming the soil. I love this idea of, you know, giving the soil an armour, never leaving it bare. Can you tell us more about that? The main thing is, yeah, to try and get the cover crops growing, but we have dry winters. So in the dry land areas, it's not, it's difficult to make it work. In the irrigation areas, what's what's very interesting is definitely cover crops is taking off interseeding of cover crops into row crops, putting it into rotations of potato crops. So I, I think it's we shouldn't make it a, a very difficult or a, how can I say a scientific way of doing this, just armor the soil. Yeah. Get something growing there. Um, and that's the, that's the quickest way. Take us back to the beginning. I think you've both talked about how looking after the soil is a key to being resilient to climate change. Most farmers will be familiar with soil sampling and they'd know about perhaps the amount of nitrogen in their soil in order to know how much fertilizer to put on but it's become much more advanced than that isn't it yeah um everything is precision based so everything is sampled per hectare gps coordinates we write variable application maps from there so that's where the technology comes in one of the things we've changed is we've gone to automated soil sampling now and when i say automated soil sampling we don't use hand labor anymore, so we use a machine imported from Denmark called the Wintex Agro Soil Sampling Machine. So we can guarantee that we are sampling at the same depth every time that we're covering huger areas, quicker, faster, more accurate. So that's that's the beginning. That's where you start. Um, so you have a soil robot. <laughs> yeah, it's not a robot. You still need the operator. Is it is it um, attached to a tractor or do you just take it out by hand and take the soil samples? It's a um, hydraulic driven auger or, or sampler. Uh, we mounted it on the back of pickups. So a farmer can take that out on their field, their um, soil sampler, and take samples from the field regularly. Yes. And just tell us what that can tell them, because I, I understand from farmers that that has allowed them to really reduce their fertilizer use because they understand the levels of nitrogen in the soil, and so they can then only apply what is needed. Is that right? Yeah. 
That's exactly, that's the base of precision farming. So we talked about soil sampling as a way of reducing our chemical use. Um, perhaps now we could talk about breeding as a technology, because I understand that varieties like Maris Piper and King Edward are very prone to disease because we've been growing them for so long. But there are new varieties coming through that means that are less prone to disease, therefore less chemicals. Do you think that companies should be using these varieties in order to reduce chemical use? I think there's a big opportunity with varieties if we can find the right ones. What we grow in southern Alberta is probably 90% russet Burbank, and we know that that variety is extremely sensitive to heat and drought conditions. And there's other varieties that perform better from a yield and quality perspective under the same conditions. What's your re research focusing on then over the next few years in trying to make potatoes more sustainable? Uh, well, right now I'm partway through doing a Nuffield Agricultural Scholarship um, where I'm looking at regenerative agricultural practices and potato production um, across the globe. So my hope is by traveling to other regions in the world and seeing what other people are doing, if I can bring little pieces of those practices back and see how we can implement them here on our farm. And what are the best regenerative practices that you've seen so far? Well, I think just getting started, period, is probably the best thing to do, right? You have to start somewhere. I think that's the scary part for a lot of producers is just getting your toe in the pool and kind of just get the ball rolling on what to do. Um, I think for Southern Alberta right now, cover cropping is probably what makes the most sense because, it, again, like Martin says, it helps you get your nitrogen cycle going. You have your soil is armored. We have troubles with wind erosion here. So it kind of covers all of those things. But the reality of our situation this fall, for example, is that we're out of water. We have no irrigation water left, so we can't get any cover crops established after harvest. So all my grand plans to get some cover crops on the ground are kind of out the window at this point because we don't have any water to get them established before winter hits. I guess that's farming, isn't it? You have to be <laughs> adaptable. <laughs> yeah. And you have got to have more solutions up your sleeve. So you mentioned dipping your toe in the water. I expect a, um, a start of that would be understanding your soils. Um, Martin, you talked about using GPS. Do you take those initial photos by by drone? Well, for us, when, when we are um, doing crop inspections throughout the growing season, we lose a lot of NDVI imagery. Same with me. What, what's NDVI? So that's a vegetative index. So what we're measuring is what's the growth of the plant and how much canopy there is and how much chlorophyll production there is in a field. But you need to go back and through that in the field. So you need to go back into the field, see why you have these higher indexes or lower indexes. Because sometimes you can get high indexes, but it's a big wheat patch. Other times, if you get low indexes, maybe it's an infestation of some kind, or maybe there's a dry area. So we use that imagery to give us focused areas where to go and crop scout. That's where we come in with that technology. Um, we also use it to determine points where we can do leaf analysis or sap analysis to determine what's the plant doing in the growing cycle, or what's the nutrient levels like in the plant. And then by using that, you can determine, listen here, do I need more nitrogen? Do I need more phosphate? Do I need iron, manganese? So that's what we're doing with satellite imagery drones from an agronomy side. That sounds great because that will then enable you to only use the nitrates or the 
uh, manganese or whatever input you're using where it's needed. Let's talk about other technologies. It's a bit of a minefield out there, Emily. Tell us how farmers might choose what works best on their farm to help them be more resilient. Sure. Well, I think, I mean, part of my, a big part of my role is filtering through all the different technology companies that approach us to try new product A or new product B. So I think it's just trying to vet those companies, um, determine if there's an actual value before we invest in those sorts of things, because a lot of them aren't that cheap. Um, yeah. So I think it's just kind of figuring out what problem they're trying to get help with or what issue they're trying to solve using technology. That's the key. I mean, if you just blindly agree to implement everything that came to your inbox, you'd be overwhelmed with a thousand apps and so much data that you wouldn't even know what to do with. So I think small steps, focusing on something simple that will make your life easier, I think. <laughs> what technologies have you seen work really well? We've had some really good success with um, some moisture sensors lately. Uh, CropX has a new moisture sensor that we've been using for the last few years, and we've had really good luck with those um, and hoping to expand that program on our farm. How does that work? Is that a way of making sure that you don't over-irrigate and you, you save water? Basically, they remotely monitor your soil moisture at multiple depths, and it reports right to your phone, and you can set alerts if it's starting to get to a point where you should irrigate, or you can see if you're kind of over where you want your soil moisture to be, so it helps you optimize your irrigation. That sounds like a great way of saving water. What other technologies have you seen that you might recommend to farmers? Again, back to the satellite imaging, I think that's an invaluable tool for growers and agronomists to use. Um, if you're going to sample or scout, you can kind of target where you're going to go as opposed to scouting an entire however many acre field. You can kind of make better use of your own time, I guess, as a grower or an agronomist. Um, and you can kind of see what's going on in your field. You can overlay the NDVI maps with your yield maps and see if there's any correlation or and just understand your field even better. And we shouldn't underestimate it, actually, because farmers are busy people, but also part of regenerative agriculture is, Nicole Masters talked about this, about joy, about taking a holistic approach and farmers being able to manage their land better without spending so much time is a good thing too, because hopefully they will be happier people and able to put more input into other sides of their farm. So satellite imaging is one way of using precision agriculture. Uh, should we talk about other ways we might use precision in targeting insects. Uh, Martin, I believe you've been using precision agriculture in reducing the amount of insecticide use. Yeah, um, basically what happened uh, with McCain's here in South Africa or the farms of the future, it wasn't actually technology, it was actually just using cover crops. Yeah, nature is better than technology usually. Yeah, so so basically, that's um, that's what happened. Is we used a we used a brassica cultivar, and you can use mustard. We used a, a, a oilseed radish that's called uh, blood ramina, and basically, what happens is it fumigates the soil. If you drive past that field, it it has a horrible smell on it, um, and that's the way we reduced it. So rather than using a, a, a product like some kind of nematicide, we used that brassica or that oilseed radish to fumigate the soil. And also, the nematodes don't reproduce on that root of that plant, so your population stays down. So it's not a host, and at the end of the day, it basically fumigates your soil. So basically, 
through technology and understanding where the nematodes are, you started experimenting with crops that they don't like. And you found that by planting a cover crop that fumigates the soil, you no longer use a chemical. Yeah. That's really important and interesting. You can use kale rather than a horrible chemical to grow potatoes. And that's cool. Yeah. And, and now we're at the point where some of those fields, we don't need to use nemocide. This The guys on the farm's not going to use the nemocide. The other thing as well is on the technology side, I think there's a lot of technology out there. But on the spraying side, there's technology coming along now, spot spraying and that. And I think that's going to make a huge difference. And it's here. I mean, I have a few clients that's, um, that has weed seekers on their sprayers. So only spray the areas that needs to be sprayed. So I'm very excited, excited about that technology. I think it's going to move soil health forward quite quickly. Mm. Gabe Brown talks about, you know, not all insects are bad. There's a lot of good insects. So I, yep. I like how you've used technology there to understand what's happening in the soil in order to use more natural methods like cover crops to reduce the use of nematicides. Emily, I'd love to know what you think about spot spraying. If you could tell us more about the technology that's allowing us to target insects or um, bad insects, because obviously lots of insects are good. Well, if we're talking potatoes, we actually don't use insecticide on our processed potatoes in southern Alberta at all. So for us, it's more from a herbicide standpoint that we're looking into this kind of technology because we do have quite a bit of resistant biotypes of weeds here. So we have to use more expensive chemistries. So in order to keep the cost down, if we could just spray the chemicals where the weeds are, that would help us maintain potato production. Emily, I believe you've seen Sea and Spray technology, uh, which is a way of targeting herbicides. Can you explain to me how it works? Basically mounted on your regular sprayer, there's sensors that can identify the weeds and then it just sprays those instead of just blanket spraying. So really reducing your AI per acre. Right. So instead of a whole acre being covered in a herbicide, you're just focusing on areas where it's needed, which must reduce the use of the chemical. Yes, for sure it would. That's great. Yeah. And there was something that you mentioned there, Martin, uh, weed seekers. Can you explain that to me and how it works? Um, it's NDVI technology on the boom of the tractor. That's what it is. Okay, so your tractor can think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So basically what it does is it picks up, again, a vegetative index based on chlorophyll. So basically what we are doing is in the growing season, we're trying to pick up where's better growth with the NDVI. Which what this technology does is when you cross over the field, it picks up all the green patches. What? Why is it green? Because it needs to be sprayed now. And then it identifies that area and as your tractor passes over there it's milliseconds boop, just sprays that area so yeah that, there's a lot of technology on that side that's coming out now weed seeker is only one of them great are there any other examples where you've seen out there which are quite innovative emily i can give you one good example that's probably reduced the amount of fungicides that we've used by probably 40 to 50 percent in southern alberta okay well we have a network of spore traps across the growing region, um, and it's all run by volunteers and spearheaded by the potato growers of Alberta and Promax Agronomy. And we go out a couple times a week and grab these samples that basically sample the air, and then they get analyzed for late blight and early blight spores. And a report goes out. It's available in real time. You can look at that and see if there's any spores in the air in your area. 
And then you can kind of use that along with climate data and decide whether you need to be spraying fungicides or not. And farmers might go out and spray fungicides like every day, right? If they think that the blight's in the air. So if they have that information, they could spray a lot less. Yeah, and it's been very successful here in southern Alberta as far as optimizing when we do use chemical. And yeah, it's definitely reduced our our applications for sure. Let's talk about the future of farming. Um, is it going to be farmers just sitting in front of computers and driverless tractors and robots? What what will it look like, Emily? I don't think you'll ever replace boots on the ground, but I think that AI or technology assistance will hopefully help farmers be more productive and have more time. Um, yeah, I think it's more about a symbiotic relationship between farmers and technology than one replacing the other. Because nobody knows their land better than a farmer. Yeah, I guess it was like you were saying, you can take the GPS images, but then you still need to go out and scout on the ground to really confirm that information. Yeah. From my side, I think it's all tools we use to be more focused. You can't replace the the natural gut feel of a farmer on his farm. AI is awesome. But you're going to struggle to code chat GPT into understanding how it's feeling this morning. I'm wanting to plant or not. So it's still the gut feel. And that's why farmers are, are a special breed in touch with, the, with, with nature. And there's a lot of technology that's out there that it's nice, but we still don't know how to implement it. But yeah, it's going to be a symbiosis. And uh, at the end of the day, boots on the ground, gut feel. That's, I don't think ChatGPT is going to take that. Yeah, great. So um, we know agriculture has been responsible, at least in part, for some of the man-made emissions which are driving climate change and indeed part of the biodiversity loss and insect decline. But it also could be a huge part of the solution, right, Emily? Yeah, I think that as growers, we have probably the highest potential to be a part of the solution using technology. So I think it's time to change the narrative on that, <laughs> Yeah, that we're not the enemy. Um, I think farmers would agree with that. I think they sometimes feel like they're being blamed. But I'm an environmental writer, but I know farmers. I'm not blaming them. I'm trying to communicate with the people who eat their food what they're doing. That's good. Yeah. So tell me, what are they doing? Well, I mean, soil is one of the only places where you can sequester carbon, so we can implement some different practices like cover cropping, um, getting those root exudates into the ground, maintaining a living root, reducing tillage um, so that that carbon stays put in the soil. Right. So we're just trying to figure out how we can implement that on our operation, which is extremely complex. It, it's extremely complex and it comes down to dirt and soil, so it's hard for us to understand, but yeah, it's the key, right? Yeah. Martin, from your perspective... What positive moves can farmers make to um, help tackle climate change? I agree with Emily. Um, soil is one of your biggest carbon zincs and where you can store your, where you can sequester carbon. So I think if farmers get incentivized to start using these practices, it will be widely adopted. And the way I'm thinking about it is that farmers can save the world. <laughs> if the guys gets incentivized, we can capture this carbon from the air and we can store it back into the ground in the form of sugars and root exudates and um, liquid carbon forms and soil organic matter. Remember, farming is a passion, but farming is a business. So at the end of the day, the bottom line is also there. 
So we we need to incentivize the farmers to um, start capturing carbon for us. I think you're right. Farmers can save the world, and um, if if the people who eat the food could understand that and understand that we could be part of saving the world through encouraging that kind of farming, then that will incentivize farmers in itself. Just one comment on the incentivizing. I mean, at the end of the day, like Martin said, farming is a business. Changing these practices or adding additional inputs and practices, I mean, that costs money. So to quote my friend Ian from Tasmania, it's hard to go green if you're in the red. So we really need to prove that there's financial sustainability along with environmental sustainability with all of these new things. And are there are there ways that farmers can get funding to to help them? Um, there is the McCain and McDonald Soil Health Fund. You can apply for a little bit of money there to help you implement some of these new things or try a few things out on your operation. So, In South Africa, we don't have any incentive. Um, we don't have any funding. Again, that's the problem. Um, I think if you can get a model going of saying, listen here guys, cover cropping, integrating cattle, get that model going. I think that needs to be discussed on a much higher level than I will ever be. And and that's what I would like to see. I would like to see, to call it frank, I would like to see politicians starting to talk about this. Yeah. So we're ending each episode with some quick fire questions for our guests. So I'll ask each of you, Emily, specific to ag tech, what is the most important change you want to see in farming by 2030? Sure. In terms of technology, for me, I would like to see one platform where I can store all my data so it's not in 10 different places. Um, yeah, Emily stole mine. <laughs> no, I wrote, I wrote down integrated farming. And, and what I mean by integrated farming is where we can use all the different principles of ag tech. We can use the nature, we can use nature, we can use animals, integrate that and make a farm a close circle of producing its own for its own nutrients, harvesting it, selling it. That's what I want to see. I want to see the whole circle completed. Mm. If money was no object, what technologies would you like to see on farms to help people be more sustainable? Um, for me, because we run over 100 pivots on this farm, I would love to have more than one moisture sensor in every single field so that I could monitor them remotely and optimize my water use. Yeah, just to save water. It's so important. And how about you, Martin? Um, I would like to buy all the spray tickets out there. Um, try to reduce the herbicide and pesticide applications. That's for me. If we can invest in that, I think that's the next step. You'd fill the farm with robots and weed seekers and pow pow. <laughs> Only want to use it where I need it. I don't want to go in there with a with a blanket approach. Um, no. Just where we need it. Only use chemical where it's needed. Yep. Um, what would you say to a farmer who's considering using technology as part of a move to regenerative agriculture? Um, I think that technology can be a valuable tool to complement a farmer's knowledge and not replace it. And I just think that technology is going to play a role and just needs to be a thoughtful integration process as you move forward on your regenerative journey. Martin, what would you say to a farmer who's considering using technology as part of a move to regenerative agriculture? Keep it simple. Okay. Don't make it too difficult for yourself. Don't try to implement 10 things at one time. Identify a problem, get to the solution, implement. Identify, implement. Yeah, keep it simple. Cover your soils, armor your soils, build the house and they will come. So that's what I would say. <laughs> 
finally, what's the best way to eat a potato? My wife makes a killer potato salad, so that's fine. Delicious. And how about you, Emily? As a process grower, I guess I have to say French fries. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. That was so interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Louise. I really enjoyed that conversation, actually. It really upended some of my assumptions because I assumed that technology is a bit scary. You know, it is maybe Terminator and robots and that consumers are scared of it and farmers are a bit scared of it. But what the farmers were saying is that it does come back to them. It is still about boots on the ground. And I know from growing up around farmers that it takes huge love and commitment and passion. And that's still at the core of farming. But if you can get help through understanding what's going on in the soil through soil sampling or understanding the crop through vegetative imaging analysis, then that allows you to target fertilizer only where you need it and pesticides only where you need it and cut down on those chemicals. So as a tool, technology is so helpful and nothing to be frightened of because it's still all about our farmers producing our food. The other thing I found interesting was it all comes back to nature. Yes, we can use microscopes to understand the biology and the soil and DNA sampling and drones flying over crops and cameras to analyse plant growth. But what was so interesting to me is you also need nature. You need to come back to understanding nature, like planting cover crops to armour the soil. I guess that is the key to regenerative agriculture, working with nature using all the tools we have. Thanks for joining me. If you'd like to know more about regenerative agriculture and potatoes, check out the links and the show notes. Next time, I'm asking, can cross-sector collaboration make a big difference? See you then.